Would you please pray with me? Prepare us, Lord, to receive your word, if not by our ears, then by our eyes, and if not by our eyes, then by our mouths, for we know that, we, that you want us to taste and see and to hear of your goodness. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. More than once, Jesus quotes this scripture for the Pharisees. He tells them to go and learn what it means. And when again and again they are bothered by Jesus' actions, he expresses his dismay that they still don't get it. Jesus quotes this familiar passage of scripture when they are scandalized at the fact that Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners and that Jesus and his disciples are doing things that the law forbids them to do on the Sabbath, like pluck heads of grain to eat because they're hungry and cure people on the Sabbath because they're ill. When Jesus sees their consistent lack of mercy in every case, Matthew tells us that Jesus says to them, but if you had known what this means, I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You would not have condemned the guiltless. This is a strong statement. To condemn the guiltless is a terrible wrong. It is a terrible injustice. It is, we know, the injustice that Jesus himself will face. And here Jesus is saying that the key to avoid making such a grave mistake is to understand what it means when God says that God desires mercy, not sacrifice. So let's try to learn what this means. The scripture that Jesus quotes comes from the book of the prophet Hosea, whose own people are so wrong-headed and wayward that bloodshed follows bloodshed, he says. And no amount of organizing themselves around burnt offerings to God will put an end to their cycle of violence. The prophets Amos and Micah, too, speak about God's desire for mercy instead of a transaction to pay for their sins. With what shall I come before the Lord, you ask? He has told you what is good. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our Lord? Amen. It's only when God speaks about mercy that God seems able to shake God's own mindset loose from the otherwise gloom and doom and ruin that is an inevitable consequence of Israel's waywardness. As the prophets know, God gets worked up by our sin. On a streak of calling out the people's transgressions against one another, their evil devising, their grievous violence, only mercy seems to be able to stop God's litany of grievances in its tracks. So could it be the same with us? This past Thursday evening, civil rights leader, lawyer, and award-winning filmmaker, educator, and author, Valerie Kaur, 
was honored with a Dare to Understand Award given by Interfaith Philadelphia. It was for her contributions to work in the interfaith arena for interfaith understanding across different religious communities. Valerie Kaur became an activist when a Sikh family friend was the first person murdered in hate violence in the aftermath of 9-11. You might remember the instant violence across our nation against Muslims, Sikhs, Hindus, Arabs, and South Asian Americans that took place in the wake of 9-11. Most of the thousands of acts of hate, the beatings, chasings, shootings, and stabbings of individuals, and the burnings of homes and places of worship didn't get picked up by the news. They were told, however, over email on Sikh community listservs. My brother was shot. My sister was stabbed. Our grandfather was beaten. Our gurdwara burned down. Valerie Kaur is herself a Sikh American. And like other Sikhs in America, she feared for herself and for her loved ones. Like all of us, she remembers how she learned of the planes flying into the twin towers of the World Trade Center. She remembers watching helplessly from afar on television as the second plane flew into the South Tower of the World Trade Center. Remembering how she felt, she writes, we were not inside our bodies, we were inside screens, watching the Twin Towers collapse over and over again on the endless loop, until the face of the person responsible appeared on every screen, every channel, and in every newspaper, Osama bin Laden of the terrorist network Al-Qaeda. His face, brown skin, black beard, round turban. Our nation's new enemy looked like my family. On September 15, Valerie and her parents got a phone call from their close friend in Phoenix. This dear friend, Balbir Singh Sodi, a Sikh American, had been shot five times in the back while he was standing in front of his gas station in Mesa, Arizona, planting crates of flowers. He was the first of 19 people killed in hate crimes in the immediate aftermath of 9-11. Over the next two decades, in his memory and in solidarity with many other communities victimized by hate crimes, Valerie has led campaigns to tell untold stories through film and to change policies to create a more just and humane society. In her book published during the pandemic, See No Stranger, a memoir and manifesto of revolutionary love, Valerie Kaur wrestles with questions that every person runs into again and again when they dedicate themselves to remaking our world into the just world that it should be. There are certainly questions that Jesus and his disciples had to deal with. How do you relate to someone whose words and actions, views and beliefs seem incomprehensible, even offensive to you? Is it possible to relate to someone who has caused irreparable harm to you? 
How do you keep from wearing yourself out with works of compassion for those around you? Social transformation is long and hard work. Identifying herself as a warrior at heart, Valerie Kaur didn't want the intensity of activism to burn out. She didn't want her and others' labor to be in vain, resulting in gains that were short-lived. And yet, two decades of organizing campaigns in response to crimes of hate and violence took a toll on her body and spirit. So she sought to learn what would enable her and others to be revolutionaries for the long run. And in a moment of inspiration, she began to wonder, what if we organized campaigns not around heinous acts of hate, but around love? What if love could be a revolutionary force for justice? And that is when she decided to regroup and establish the Revolutionary Love Project. This inspiration required her to reframe how she had been doing her work, her organizing, campaigning, and listening. She decided to listen not only to victims, but also to perpetrators of hate crimes. Not only to allies, but also to opponents. She decided to wonder about the humanity and vulnerability of both victims and perpetrators. She extended her wondering beyond what the victims and their families and communities could teach us about resilience and forgiveness to what the perpetrators could teach us about authentic remorse, truthful apology, and accountably living with what they have done. Not just showing up in crises, but staying in touch and returning for conversations with those persons and communities, she has listened hard to learn what wisdom they've gained through the test of time. As a student of social justice movements throughout history and around the world, she has asked which movements have endured and why. Without a doubt, Jesus was a reformer. He preached, taught, and labored for the kingdom of God. While he knew that it would never be fully realized on earth, he nevertheless taught his followers to strive to embody it as fully as they could and commissioned them to carry on the labor long after he departed. As Christ's body, we too must ask ourselves, what enables the intensity of this work not to burn out, but to be life-giving, generative, and sustaining? Is it not mercy? For every stranger whose beliefs and actions seem incomprehensible and offensive to us, for every opponent who has done us irreparable harm, and for oneself, is it not mercy? At every dead end, is it not mercy that opens up a new possibility? Amen. A way forward into a future we didn't think was possible? God's law without mercy is a dead end for every one of us. 
There is no way any of us can live up to it. The sacrificial system of Jewish law had no potential to heal and redeem anyone or to reconcile any broken relationship. It was not going to generate new life, much less sustain it. Only mercy would do that. So throughout his ministry, as opponents kept throwing up dead end after dead end, complaining that Jesus shouldn't be eating with sinners or that his disciples shouldn't be plucking grain on the Sabbath even if they were hungry, or that Jesus shouldn't do any work on the Sabbath even if it were to cure someone, Jesus chose mercy to get past every dead end. Even when he himself faced death on the cross, he chose mercy. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. It was his mercy, not his sacrifice alone, that gives us a future. Trying to teach his disciples about the generative nature of mercy, Jesus told the parable about an unmerciful servant. The kingdom of heaven, he said, is like a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. As he began settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he wasn't able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant pleaded with the king to be patient with him. The king, having mercy on him, did and canceled his entire debt. Afterward, that same servant was put in a similar situation in which one of his servants owed him money. He demanded that the man pay him back. Even though the man begged him to be patient, he refused. Instead, he had the man thrown into prison until he could pay off his debt. Eventually, when the king heard what his servant had done, he called him back saying, You wicked servant. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Jesus' parable teaches us something about the generative nature of mercy. Mercy, once given, should be given in turn to another and then to another. It is meant to be extended on and on Freely you receive, so freely you should give. To be sure, mercy is an inspiring gift. Carried through, mercy is the only thing that can disrupt and put an end to cycles of violence, litanies of grievances, bloodshed that follows bloodshed. If it could inspire Almighty God and our Lord Jesus Christ, could it not also be the same with us? Amen. Amen. Amen.